Hi, this is uh, Commander Chris Hadfield. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. There's a there's a healthiness to being like I observe this phenomena. Yeah. <laughs> I look at the horizon, it looks flat. Right. I think that's hey, that's a healthy skepticism to have. But at, at some point it, it like when you go from skeptic but you then you just don't follow it up and instead you're just like I think they're lying to me. I mean I will say to right to you know, some of the credits here have said like let's launch a satellite and prove that the earth is curved. So I was like, like I, but I also don't understand how you think a satellite works if the Earth isn't curved. Exactly. <laughs> Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast in any app store. Tell your friends. I told you I was going to start that. Yeah, very this good. Time. Tell, <laughs> tell your friends where you can find us. We are in need of new no, listeners. No, we're not. Always. Well, I mean, we always are. No, we're, we're not <laughs> desperate, but like, we, you know. Nice we're going to beg. We're going to... We're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, seriously, if you enjoy what you hear, why not do us a favor and hit the share button? You know, it doesn't have to be every week, but there's always somebody you're going to connect with. And hit that share button. But this week, we have a awesome and fun interview. And I always say that, but... <laughs> Yeah, it you always do. is awesome and fun. I'm like you. You. It's know, like gotta, nobody listens anymore. It's like phase. awesome and fun. It must be another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he said the he said the one with that guy was awesome, and that was pretty crappy. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. None of our episodes are crappy. They're all awesome and fun. <laughs> but it's not every day. I was just thinking this, and I'm going to put it on Facebook right after. We just sat around a table internet table i guess because we're all in different areas virtual table had a virtual table and had a conversation with a nasa engineer you know scientist like what we just did that it was just a conversation three bros hanging out (laughs) just another day just another day no and and but i mean the way that the conversation went it was more like we were just kind of catching up and talking about science, and it was really neat. And I, I can't wait for you to hear yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, I'll let them know who they're about to hear. I mean, you you already know who it is. You're listening to the episode. We talked yes. to uh, Bobak Ferdosi, who uh, works at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory with NASA. Um, and he has worked on a number of different projects. Um, he, he worked on Curiosity. Uh, he worked on Cassini. Um, he worked for a little while. I thought he was still on it, but we asked him about it in Europa. Uh, there's a upcoming, um, uh, project they're working on now, uh, to hopefully send something out to Europa. Um, and, uh, so he kind of, if, if you, if you know the name or if you, you know, you're like, who's this guy and you're Googling him and you see the picture, you're like, that guy looks familiar. Uh, it's probably because you were watching the live feed of when Curiosity was coming down for a landing to Mars and they were showing the whole um, 
you know, the, uh, the, the, the control center where everybody was working at behind their consoles. And there was that one guy with the Mohawk, uh, and he sort of became like an internet sensation. This was what, 2012, I think. Uh, he became like a meme and, you know, the, everybody's like, who's that guy with the Mohawk? What's he doing there? Who is that guy? Well, that's Bobak. And, uh, he sort of took that internet fame and, uh, um, it, it, it it's funny like it hasn't they didn't go to his head like i mean he he has sort of become like a little bit of a face for nasa like he does a lot of speaking engagements right. and he talks to schools and students and because he's a young guy himself and he's full of energy as you're going to hear full of excitement um and uh dude, that haircut kind of gave him fame when curiosity came in for a landing uh and he, but he's he's just one of many many people at JPL and at nasa who are just yeah, I'm making magic happen every day as far as I'm concerned. Because right. I don't know. And we talk about a lot. No, I agree with you. Uh, he was explaining something that he didn't understand how some de- engineers do. Yeah, right. We were just both like, yeah, we don't. Yeah, I, we, I, don't, we don't know don't what you know do. What. I mean, I, I know what kind yeah. of what you do. But I don't know how you do it. Like, it's right. like, that's like, I'm like a caveman watching, you know, somebody from today, like, work an iPad. I was like, right. mm-hmm? what is that? You know? <laughs> we're like a uh, 80 year old man watching an iPad for the first yeah. time. This is what we're like. Exactly. Okay. But, <laughs> um, and fear not if you if you are here and you don't think that the moon landing was real. <clears throat> well, <laughs> or, if, tell or you, if you think the earth is flat, or he is going to inform you. So if you want to hear that, I can't wait. I can't. <laughs> you can't wait no, for it. But we, right. we dive in. We we dive into that, and you know, obviously, we can. You can probably <laughs> know what he's going to say, but it's really fun. <laughs> I because there's still people that actually believe. That. Are you? If you're one of those people, uh, listen. You gotta listen. Okay, <laughs> so we're gonna go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> Bobic, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's awesome to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, I I wonder if you remember. Uh, you you may you may not. Do you remember what first set you on a path towards space? Like, was science always something that fascinated you, or did that sort of come later? I it's not clear that there's. I mean, there's like a lot of one-off moments that I think kept tilting the balance in that, f- that favor. You know, it's like one of those. Uh, mathematical things where they're like, you know, like you take a bag and you have 50 50 chance and you keep pulling out like a white ball or a black ball and then right. if you pull one out you add two that i feel like that's sort of my path to to science explained uh, scientifically um no i just feel like as a kid you know playing with legos uh my parents obviously encouraged a lot of sort of academic or you know whatever interests i had yeah uh reading a lot um and then let me i mean i got and i also got away with a lot of stuff i think Letting me take apart the VCR and not, <laughs> you know, not putting it back together properly. Um, did you try? That though? was acceptable. Did you? I, well, I tried. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not. I mean, not so successfully. Yeah. I, well, here's the thing. There were two of them. One of them was broken. And I, I was like, maybe if I take apart the good one, I can figure out what's broken. <laughs> well, sure. Right. Let me look at the one that works. Logic. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally get your logic there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I, you mentioned, you know, sort of, you know, one thing here, one thing there, and it just sort of all 
coalesce to, to push you in that direction. But I, I understand you went to space camp, though, as a kid. Is that true? I did go to... I mean, by then, I was pretty well into the uh, space... Um, love of space or love of kind of uh, that that area. Yeah. And I think that... By that point, it was... Um, you know, a lot of Star Trek, uh, a lot of Arthur C. Clarke, um, you know, just sci- science fiction in general. And yeah. I think the idea to me that I still think kind of holds true is, you know, I, I want to work in space because that's helping to build those sort of futures. Yeah. I wanted to be a part of making I didn't think I was going to necessarily get to go gallivanting around the galaxy. Um, <laughs> but I was hopeful that maybe I could make that someday happen. Were were you aware though, like as a kid? I don't know if you remember, but like, you know, a lot of people come to science sort of through that science fiction. You know, that's that's what that's the doorway that helps them understand that you know this this could be real. This is you know this is what we're working toward, and these are all feasible things that we know could become reality. But were you aware of like that distinction between like? what was science fiction at that point and what was really actually happening in the real world? No, probably not. I mean, yeah. I, you know, like you're familiar with, Oh, the space shuttle or things like that. But I, you know, I don't, I don't remember, for example, you know, the Voyager flybys of, right. of <laughs> things, you know, like I'm, I'm sure that there was like a picture of Jupiter in a textbook where with the caption, like, you know, taken by Voyager one or two but I don't remember those events at all. And I don't think anything stood out in my mind in terms of the reality of what was happening until probably around high school or um, that time. Like, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, I obviously knew Star Trek is fictional. The sci-fi that I'm reading is fictional. But I don't think I, I you know, I made the leap from like, oh, here's where we are today. And, uh, or even right. appreciate it until later, like, for example, how, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, really was able to weave in a lot of the understanding that we did have um, or, you know, and even his, you know, kind of technical sort of um, philosophy was very much based in a, a, a present reality at the time, I guess he wrote it. Yeah. Um, but that was much later. I don't, you know, child me was just like, this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I want to do. I want to get, make starships that fly through the you know, yeah. farthest reaches of the galaxy. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do that really? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> I still do too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so space exploration is a big part of our society and it's very important. So do you have an elevator pitch in support of funding for space exploration? Something you would tell somebody? Um, I, You know, here's the thing. I, I, I'm not going to pretend that like if there was only a dollar, you know, that you should give the right. dollar to space exploration over something else. So it, that, you know, there's people who are like, well, why aren't we spending on Earth? And I, I fundamentally believe, yes, I think the priority has always been Earth. I think the short pitch for me is space is enabling us to do a lot of things um, about our own planet. Uh, and then there's, you know, the, the aspirational part of it, which, you, you know, I think is most appealing to me personally, not necessarily the most value added immediately, uh, of just showing us that these things are possible. I mean, it is it is the sense of of science fiction, right? It is the sense of mm-hmm. if if you know if we're able to do uh, humans on the moon, if we're able to put you know rovers on Mars, uh, you know missions to Saturn, go into the interstellar space. I it does make me feel that the, the other things are possible. Now, I mean, there's all sorts of other issues there, but I I feel like at least it's possible, um, and. Yeah you know, then then it kind of gives us a starting point of making us feel like we can do something about those things. You know, the, I mean, what, 
the public, what we see, you know, are sort of the the biggest, quote unquote, the sexiest projects, you know, like obviously like we, yeah. you know, the public was aware of the space shuttle program, you know, Curiosity, obviously, Cassini recently. Um, but those are just sort of like the big flashy, you know, because they send back great pictures kind of things. Sure. But from your perspective, though, I mean, as somebody in the thick of it inside, What's the most exciting work going on there right now? Is it those big projects that we see a lot of, or is it something else that's just sort of being done quietly? I mean, I'm, I think that it's a mix. I think those projects obviously are a lot of why people want to go into space exploration, why people kind of start on that path. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people want to, yeah, you know, you want to do interesting things. I think what's good about once you start working in that field, once you get into the, the you know, the, the, your hands dirty in there. You start realizing that those challenges don't have to come always um, at a different planet or you know a, a, with an observatory like Hubble or James Webb or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I think you know f- for me personally as an engineer, uh, not as a scientist, um, I think there's always incredible challenges and sometimes they're, they're you know oh, how am I going to do this with you know half the cost of the the mission that did this before. <laughs> right. Sometimes they're you know we want to we have a, a fault on this mission and we're going to try to figure out a way to keep it working. I think one of my favorite recent examples is Kepler um, with the, with the reaction wheel failing and that they were able to use the solar pressure on, on part of the spacecraft to, to counter the remaining two out of three required reaction wheels. Uh, that's it. Like that's an incredible feat of ingenuity. And I think mm-hmm. that that challenge I like now, I think what's really impressive are things like, you know, Landsat continuity that, you know, you have 30 years of, continuous earth observations um that you know that we are i watched a presentation uh, from the one of the chair people of the indian space research organization and we and i you know, didn't really wasn't as aware of it um for the united states but we do a lot of the same things which is you know we look at the the weather patterns we try to predict what sort of agricultural yields people will get um try to understand early you know uh, indicators of flood warnings things like that so there's a lot of opportunity there and it's only going to get better um with the fact that you know satellites have gotten smaller and cheaper and launches have gotten cheaper uh that we can kind of keep satellites up there and say oh you know hey we see that there are things happening or that you know an earthquake has happened and here's the areas that are affected and yeah. we can send resources to where they're needed um, and obviously, you know, I mean, I'm, I won't shy away from climate change, which I think is a is a no. real big part of what we need to look at uh, today and understand what's happening to our planet. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. I don't think people quite realize how much work NASA is doing around mm-hmm. um, weather, you know, just just putting up weather yeah. satellites and, and monitoring what's happening on Earth. You know, all too often we think about the work that's done looking at the stars and looking at other planets and their moons and, and, you know, because it's gorgeous and it's so mysterious to most of us. And so we, it's, that's where we want to go. Um, but so much of the work that is being done, the actual nitty gritty and the the hard science is is looking back at earth and, you know, weather Mm -hmm. patterns and climate change and and geological features and how all that's connected. And I, I think a lot of people don't quite realize or appreciate that. Well, it's, and I mean, I don't want to like, this is a flawed analogy at some level, but it, it is sort of the, you know, the the bread and butter, the working class sort of part of of space, the, you know, communication satellites that we, we are reliant on, weather, you know, prediction, um, all those things are part of, of the, 
the big picture in space. And obviously where a lot of, you know, listen, if, you know, people love, you know, SpaceX and everything else, but there would be no market for SpaceX if we were only launching, you know, the one mission to Mars every couple of years. That's right. not a market. Right. So uh, the reality is we're doing a lot more interesting stuff here at Earth. Um, but, but at some level, I think while some of it is, you know, very practical, they, they kind of have a similarity to me, which is that they are both about understanding our context um, and whether that's more immediately the context of, you know, hey, I'm living on this continent and there's this land or the context of what does it mean to be Earth uh, versus all these other places that we can see in our own solar system and potentially even in other um, in other solar systems. So I, th I think that they address a similar contextual aspect mm -hmm. of, of human things. But yeah, at some level, I mean, comparing yourself to Mars is a lot more dramatic than comparing <laughs> yourself to, you know, from California to Nevada or something like that. Right. Right. So you mentioned SpaceX, and I got to ask you, how much competition or one-upmanship is there between NASA and places like SpaceX, or are you even thinking of them? <laughs> I don't think there is. I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I think the thing NASA does great, I mean, there are areas where we overlap, but the thing that right. NASA does great is this pushing the envelope and challenging ourselves to do interesting science, uh, you know, under, again, understand that context of, of, of what it means to be a human on Earth. Uh, and SpaceX has done incredible work technically, for sure, but also, you know, the fact that they can reduce cost of launches uh, so significantly means that NASA can spend more of that money not towards a rocket that we don't get to use, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, we do get to use again, um, but in, you know, towards the science missions and towards the other, you know, putting humans uh, further out there, putting them on the space station, um, you know, sending missions uh, to, to other planets. So I, I think it's a win for everybody, um, the fact that, that they exist. I don't, it really doesn't feel like competition. I mean, the only area where you get close to that is space launch system, yeah. NASA and, right. you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation about that. And it is, I think it's, it's the right thing for people to do to understand what the well, you know what the best choice is there for NASA and, and for for commercial space flight but I mean I you know we obviously have a lot of friends especially in the LA area right as JPL's here in Pasadena and SpaceX is by the coast and um, people have gone back and forth between the two places uh, some of my good friends work there and I'm a little jealous at times I mean I definitely feel like <laughs> you know the some of the technical responsibilities that you can get you know while being 27 years old at SpaceX are are really great compared to you know <laughs> some of the things I've been able to do. I, so that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, but I, it's a very mutual. I think it's a very mutual uh, mm. excitement. I mean, there would probably not really be a SpaceX without a NASA. You know, but I don't think those people who are working there would have been inspired by, you know, the commercial satellites uh, of you know communication satellites, for example. Some might. Uh, so it it is a it is it is very shared. I have shared love. I I mean on top of like just reducing costs and having the reusable rockets like he Elon Musk has like these very ambitious plans for space yeah you know what I mean like getting to Mars commercial space travel you know the uh, what was I just seeing the other day where he wants to have rockets to, to tra travel just around Earth you know within yeah, an to, hour like whatever LA to Beijing in 39 yeah. minutes or whatever yeah. I, mean, I was watching that video it just blew me away you know like the hyperloop like these things are like yeah like next level, not, I mean, not like he's unique in that, but like next level thinking in that just mm -hmm. for the for the the ambition that he's putting into practice. And I'm sure he is very confident that it's all doable. But as somebody who's like <laughs> as somebody who's who's intimately aware of the science, you know, that's what you do every day. 
How realistic are those goals? I, I mean, I think a lot of people have already made the comments about the timelines are probably uh, next to impossible. I'm not, imp- I mean, I don't know what, what is po- possible with, the, you know, the SpaceX employees or how many people or resources they have. Um, but I think, you know, the 2022 two cargo missions, um, the 2024 humans to Mars, it's on the very extreme edge of ambitious. Uh, but, you know, he seems to think that his, you know, community, his team or whatever works best under those sort of deadlines and pressures. And, yeah. you know, they obviously have delivered a lot. They've also had some setbacks. I mean, Falcon Heavy was, I think, right. first scheduled for 2013. Um, and it's going to happen hopefully by the end of this year. So, you know, that it was interesting, right? I mean, he says, like, we're going to do it 2022. And then in the same talk, he sort of admits, well, Falcon Heavy was more difficult than we thought it was going to be. And yeah. I was like, well, that, those two don't jive um, in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> but it's great. I mean, it's, it's the pros and cons of it are to me i think if 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 it's true what he says and the team is motivated by it and that's you know that kind of lights the fire under them to to get things done that's great um i think the you know i i sometimes feel like we are compared um you know between nasa and, and spacex and you know we're like well we're gonna send a mission it's still gonna be three years you know whatever and people are like why are you taking so long and i'm like well we're we're giving you a realistic you know very practical there's a budget you know we have this many dollars per year this many people and you know it's very it's all very kind of uh tedious at, at that level when you have to get into the detail sure. of it and it's you know it's very exciting to be like yeah. happening next year happening in two years um that's what gets the headlines yeah, it does. But, you know, and I, I, but like I said, I, if it's working for them I, and, and they have definitely a different culture, you know, every every place, every location, I mean, even within NASA, every every center mm-hmm. has a sort of different, you know, different culture. And SpaceX definitely has its own unique culture. And I'm sure, you know, you could say the same for the, the Lockheed's and the Boeing's and, right. the you know, Blue Origins and all these places. Um, so it's fun to, to see that, I you know, I, I personally just I mostly I. I sympathize with the engineers there because I'm like, well, if you're doing this by 2022, you guys are going to be working 80 hour weeks from now until 2022. <laughs> right. Um, you know, don't take any vacations, guys. Uh, so, but you know, like I said, they, they, uh, I have the utmost respect for them. And uh, I, I do wish it was a little bit more clear sometimes in the, the overall kind of picture. And I don't think that's a, any one person's fault, but that, you know, when we, when we say SpaceX, there are 5,000 or so employees that are working extremely hard to make that happen. It's, yeah. you know, it is not Elon Musk no. who at the end of the day has to put pen <laughs> to paper and do all the calculations. Yeah. So it's great that he has the ambition and it's great that he has the technical, you know, insight as well as I'm sure, you know, a, a, a core of people that he can, you know, ask questions like, is this possible? Is this, you know, even in their own possibility? But I think it, it's important because the future, you know, we're not just going to have a society full of Elon Musk. We're going to have a society of, of people who are working in engineering and right. trying to build, you know, Mars settlements and do all those different things. Yeah. Looking beyond 2022, whether or not that's feasible or if, if it's going to happen. Um, I mean, just in the last generation, we've seen, you know, an amazing amount of change yeah. In space travel, you know, we went yeah. from Mir to the ISS. We went from the shuttles to, to Orion to the SLS, which is coming up. So I mean, it's like the changes that we've just seen, even in my own lifetime, have been remarkable. Like, where do you see us going? Like, where do you see not not physically, but like, where do you see space travel going in the next like fifty to a hundred years? Oh, oh boy! I you know I don't know. I think. Um... 
I mean, I have my hopes. Uh, I obviously would like to see humans travel further out. I mean, I, I, want, I want to see Mars very much in my lifetime. Um, I think, you know, technologically, there's probably some some big areas in terms of energy that need to, to kind of happen before we're really able to leapfrog uh, where we are, right? Like, so much higher power ion engines, so you need to be able to get more power, um, or batteries that are much smaller, because batteries tend to be um, pretty significant in terms of, of, you know, of life cycle or, or how, how much you can do in a, in a given period before you, you know, get into eclipse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of, at some, you know, I don't know if Mars in 40, 50 years is going to be lots of people um, and space, you know, space settlements are all the rage. <laughs> I do think that um, there's a good, there's a lot of good chances here for the, you know, the, the kind of deep space mining or uh, planetary resources model. Um, and that might happen. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five or 10 years. I think that's a little longer term. I think that the first period is going to be the period of exploration where we try to figure out how do we know what these asteroids are made of and right. how do we figure out their orbital parameters? And then you start working on the, okay, well, now that I know this asteroid is worth, you know, a good amount of money or whatever, then I can say, all right, what kind of, what kind of spaceship do I go out there to, to do something about it? Yeah. But I, I think that this like, you know, reusable satellite stuff is going to come in, I think. Uh, as launches get cheaper, then you start getting to the trade of, can I, re, you know, can I fix satellites? Can I do other things? Refuel satellites if they're perfectly operational. And I think the all, the big thing is smaller satellites. I think you know we've seen Planet and places like that grow the number of cubesats. Um, you know that the Indian launch earlier this year with like 104 satellites in a single launch. Yeah. Um, that, but that means you know more coverage, right? That's what's cool about it is. You go from this paradigm of I have one chance that costs a billion dollars to do something to I can get hundreds of chances. And if any 10 of them fail, it doesn't matter to me mm-hmm. because, you know, I've got 90 more that are going to be giving me coverage every 20 minutes. And, you know, you can't do that with one satellite. So that's I think that's where we're, we're sort of headed is smaller and, and you know maybe more almost more disposable at some level. But um, but just this idea that you don't have to put all your eggs in the one one really expensive basket. Now, with humans, obviously, it's a very different equation just because you yeah. know, I don't want to take a rocket where they're like, well, that nine out of 10 are going to make it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that was, you know, that was the first thing when I saw that, that like rocket launch to Beijing or whatever it was. I was like, well, we are nowhere near the mark of airplanes today with rockets. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to get on that. I mean, 39 minutes is a good time saving. Tell you what, man, I w- I just flew to China this summer. If I could have gotten there in 39 minutes, that would have been amazing. <laughs> What's the? But here's the thing: like, what probability would you have to assign to the success of that rocket before yeah. you say, "I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather sit in 12 hours of coach, yeah, or whatever it is." It's uh, got to be 100, first... man. I, I I like I like living too much, you know. I like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. Uh, but but uh, you know that is that is it is great though because that is very non-traditional thinking and i and i i think it's great for someone to to challenge the sure. idea that you know that rockets can't do something like that yeah but or you can't grow the market i mean that if you have this this tool that you know and it's re- and, reusable and refuelable and it's cheap to do it why not and even if it doesn't work out even if it's impossible that kind of thinking inspires other people to be like well if he could uh, he could he could have if they could have thought of that and tested it out like maybe my crazy idea is not so crazy after all yeah yeah 
Absolutely. Maybe, maybe we can have a food replicator at some maybe. point. Maybe. Oh, gosh. Here's the thing. I would gain so much weight if I had a food replicator. Like, I already, like, think about where I live, and I'm like, if it's too close to, like, the restaurants that I really want to eat at, it's going to be bad. Uh, so the idea of a food replicator, unless, like, the best, here's the thing, unless the food replicator can magically make things taste something, but, like, also have very few calories. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or just like or just like the key nutritional things that I need, but like it could be like still a pile of ice cream. I'm like, great. <laughs> well, you know, I mean that you know, you watch Star Trek and they, they didn't hold back on the food. Like they use those replicators, they ate a lot. And, and their, their clothes were tight. They, they were right. very tight fitting, a lot of tight fitting clothes. That's what yeah. I'm saying. There weren't a lot of obese people there. Yeah. I mean that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the future, I guess. It's the future. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I, you know, talking about inspiring people, I, I, quick question though. I mean, like, so, so the moon landings were an inspiration to a generation or two generations. And, and like, to be clear, real, not. And yeah. they were real. We'll yeah. get, yeah. we'll get to that in a second. But okay. so they were, they were inspirational to an entire generation or two of kids who sat home and watched, you know, real people land on the moon. You know, I, I was reading, as I was reading about you, I saw that, you know, Pathfinder was a big inspiration to you because yeah. you said, hey, wow, we made something and that just landed on another planet. Yeah. I'm wondering, and obviously curiosity had that same effect, I think, too, on a lot of people. And it was like, that's that's amazing. Do you think that we're missing out on, like, inspiring kids today by just not landing more things on planets and moons? <laughs> Just constantly, we should just land. We should just no, be because putting then more it stuff becomes, down. At some, I mean, you have to have risks for that to be rewarding, right? It can't if it's an everyday thing. It's not going to people are going to take it for granted. I mean, even now, and I, like it's, I was like, oh, this will never get old, and it, it hasn't gotten old. But like you know, watching a falcon land, I'm like, yeah, it's going to land. Yeah, it does. I like there's not much on the line anymore. I mean, yeah. I wa- obviously again, like I, I'm still fascinated by it. It's still a rocket. It's cool. I mean, who doesn't want to watch it? But. Right. Uh, but yeah, at some level, you know, I, I, it, like the first time you were like, will it, will it happen? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the fourth time you're like, okay, it should happen. It better happen. And then like the 10th <laughs> time you're like, okay, yeah, that's still cool. Uh, I mean, still you know, cool. I, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to land, uh, launch a, a Mars rover in 2020. Uh, we'll call just temporarily called Mars 2020 until it gets, a, uh, you know, a more uh, befitting name, but it's, you know, looking very similar to curiosity, uh, both in terms of the rover design, but even in terms of the, the landing architecture and the cruise uh, and everything else. And I, you know, I wonder, do people think like, well, they did it last time. They should be able to do it again. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I know the odds going in, or at least I think <laughs> I know what the odds were going in. I don't think they were that great. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, you know, I'm sure if I did 10 of them, there was no way I would have given us, you know, 90%, like, you know, nine out of 10 odds on, on landing 10 rovers at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I, I, you always wonder about that thing. So I think what we need to do is just sort of, again, you know, it, it, they can't all be the the incredible, you know, uh, you know, a, a sub, you know, a submarine that goes to Europa, a lander on Mars, a, a boat that goes to Titan. Uh, while those things are all super cool, but I think Cassini showed you you don't have to be, uh, you know, landing something for it to still inspire you. Um, I mean. Yeah. It was an incredible spacecraft, yeah. and and uh, what a, what a what a journey, and what a, what a sort of a story uh, we got to learn at, at Saturn and its moons. But it, you know, it's not. It wasn't like the what you would think of as the traditional, you know, quote sexy 
yeah. rover landing or, you know, mm-hmm. there's not, there wasn't a single moment. I mean, there was Saturn orbit insertion, but I don't think most people actually were nearly as aware of Saturn orbit insertion, which is the equivalent, you know, sort of landing uh, a rover yeah. on Mars. Um, yeah. I mean, so, it, it, it was dramatic. I, I, I mean, a lot of people, I think a lot of people watched it and, and were sad by it, but it was, you're right. It wasn't that same you know, white knuckling, watching, you know, that mm-hmm. seven minutes of panic or whatever it was when you didn't know if Curiosity had actually landed. You know, it's it was, that's a completely different experience, I'm sure, for you, but even for us as from the outside, just watching right. that. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is important to, uh, whether it be from space or other things, to to get those moments of awe. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think even if you're older, I don't think it's just for kids. I think no, yeah, we sure. all, and it needs to happen for all of us. Um, I mean, I think kids are like just generally pretty fascinated and I don't know that it takes that like moment. I, you know, I remember even talking to a first grade class and like trying to explain the concept of gravity to this girl. And when I kind of like, I was, you know, I tried, I eventually came on with this, you know, this uh, trying to explain the space station and you know, that they, they are in earth's gravity, but they don't feel gravity. And it's because it's the, you know, the relative motion and, and finally, you know, I got through to her with this, okay, well, let's just imagine you're in a falling elevator. Mm-hmm. And there was this moment, and then there was just like, she just kept looking at her teacher and being like, wow, wow, to her teacher. Yeah. Um, which was awesome. And I want, you know, I definitely want more kids to do it. But, I, you know, the thing is, we have a lot of incredible stuff. Most kids have just never heard of it. Yeah. And it doesn't actually have to, I don't think it has to be live for it to be impactful. Um, but I, that that doesn't mean we should stop doing the thing, you know, the incredible things. Yeah, um, but I think that you know, you just we're we're not always. I, I think we're we're fortunate. It's a better time now than it was ten years ago with the you know the rise of social media and the fact that it's mm-hmm. not just like in the news for for the first night. I mean, I you know, with I was there for the Mars exploration rovers, and. I remember it being a very big deal on the lab. Uh, it was like the first couple months that I started working at JPL. But it definitely wasn't, you know, you didn't hear about it many days after the landing yeah. of the two rovers. Um, whereas Curiosity still felt like, you know, the first picture, like people were like, oh, wow, the first pictures, you know, oh, color pictures. Yeah. Uh, and then just the ability to share that, and, you know, that story can go on for a lot longer. So I think that's one of the big pros of, of as we move forward. Um, I mean, along with just a generally renewed interest in space, I think that, it, it, I, you know, I wonder if it's a little bit cyclical with space, like many things. I wonder if, you know, that mm-hmm. you kind of go through this pendulum, uh, you know, period. And right now we're sort of on the, the, you know, the positive side of that. And maybe it'll start dwindling. I hope not. It seems oh, like we are making a ton of forward progress. So it won't. Right. I mean, between, right. you know, mi- missions like Curiosity and then those, you know, the Falcon uh, launches and landings and potentially humans to Mars and in the next decade um that's i feel like that's enough to cement its place in like you know for at least a generation or two of uh of inspiration yeah fingers crossed yeah so let's talk about the europa clipper for a minute what is it and what yeah. is your role on the project i'm not on europa clipper anymore you're not uh, okay oh i know which I was, oh. it was a bittersweet uh moment to leave that project so no but clipper is a, it's an incredible mission um so one of the things that you know, I think people became kind of familiar with, uh, at least some people, um, with Cassini was this idea that you could use the moons to sort of manipulate your orbit around the, the planet, and then to to use that to interact either with the same or different moons kind of throughout time. Uh, Europa Clipper sort of takes that uh, ambition to the next level, and 
Um, the, the, the big difference is that Jupiter is immensely, um, you know, it's emitting a, a tremendous amount of radiation. So you have this spacecraft, which is very sensitive, right? Electronics don't like to be in radiation. Um, and you're trying to fly it in a place that's pretty bad. And if you put it in orbit around Europa, uh, it would either have to be an extraordinarily designed machine, very expensive, very massive, and then you sacrifice life. A lifetime of the mission, mm-hmm. uh, in order to get good science, complete science coverage of of the moon, or you can do this, you know, this clever trick that that Cassini used, and you can kind of each time you fly by Europa, you manipulate your orbit ever so slightly, so that over the course of several years, you're basically only spending a short period by Europa, and then flying away from Europa for a couple of weeks at a time, but instead. You keep moving where you get closest to Europa on the surface of Europa. So over the course of a few years, you make that complete map, but you spend most of your time away from the the harsh radiation of our Jupiter. And it gives you lots of time to download data rather than like sitting there and trying to take the data and also download it all at the same time. You've got this long two weeks where you acquire a lot of data in a in a short burst, and then you send the data back for um, for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, uh, there's a, a, a few people at JPL who have really worked on those sort of trajectories. And it's, I mean, I, those guys to me are like wizards, honestly, <laughs> the, the navigation people. I'm like, how do you, because like, you know, you just have to tweak a little thing and then it's, it's a completely different, like, yeah, so we, <laughs> we wanted to get coverage. So we tweaked this orbit 10 orbits earlier and we got the coverage. And I'm like, how did you, the ten, how do you think 10 steps forward is like, I mean, right. It's like chess masters. Um, <laughs> you're you're all wizards to me. Like I don't understand how you do any of the things that you do. <laughs> I, I think at some level, I think I mean I, you're probably right. I mean I think of my own job as very, like it's just a matter of you know being practical and trying to figure out how things work and then, but um, so uh, yeah, about, about a year ago, about this time, I moved from uh, Europa Clipper to a mission called NISAR, which is uh, jointly being done with India. And it is an Earth science mission. Um, and uh, what's what's very fun is I'm working on the fault protection. So we're trying to understand the ways in which the spacecraft can break, uh, and then find ways, largely on board the spacecraft, to resolve them. So we're not—it's not perfect, right? I mean, if a you know, if a thing is broken, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we can continue doing science during that time. But at least we want to make sure that the spacecraft stays safe, can t- contact the Earth. Uh, you know, can tell us, hey, I've had a problem. My primary computer is whatever, you know, having an issue. I'm now on the backup computer. Uh, and then you can start, you know, diagnose the the issue with humans in the loop. Um, but we have some pretty complex, not quite Mars landing, maybe um, moments uh, where we deploy a very large reflector um, for the radar. And, you know, during that time, we're very vulnerable and trying to figure out how do we, you know, basically design that activity to happen without humans have to having to joystick it. Um, and that's, you know, that was a challenge with Mars, right? That, that, that 14 minute time delay on earth, we don't yeah. necessarily have the same time delay, but we do have missing coverage at times where we can't have uh, you know, contact with the, the ground. So we have to figure out ways of letting, make sure the spacecraft is going to be safe on its own. So it's really fun. Um, it's again, you know, from the nice, like I said, the nice thing kind of earlier is the, engineering challenges they're they're everywhere yeah um it doesn't it doesn't always have to be a landing although i mean i will say that was a one of the most exciting moments in my career um, <laughs> it's a tough one but to it doesn't always have to be that and uh <laughs> you know but it's really fun uh i i really enjoy it. and it's it's just it's different you know working with india is a lot of fun 
Yeah. Uh, like like you, I spent a lot of time traveling um, in economy class. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the rocket's appealing at moments. It um, is very appealing. Yeah, that twenty hour or so uh, flight time. Yeah. But um, but working with them is 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 really fun. They are uh, really their their whole space program is very ambitious and exciting. And I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of the Indian space program in the next you know ten years as well. Cool. I mean the, the the fact that the first country to you know, put something in orbit around Mars successfully on their very first try. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, and and they're they're almost like a you know where I think maybe we were not too long ago. But you know, they're, they're they're like they've had a lot of success. They're they like they they uh, I think they think you know like oh we know the you know we know the answer to this. Um, and sometimes you know it's interesting. We've like learned different lessons along the way. Each, each of us uh, from the mistakes we've made you know like i think whenever you make a, a mistake you're like okay well how do i avoid making that mistake again and sometimes you 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 do technically meet the like i won't make that mistake again but you didn't necessarily take the right lesson learned mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's happened on both sides so it's interesting like you know if we disagree on things to get to the root of why we disagree because you would think oh it's engineering right there should be more or less a right answer um <laughs> But there's not. I mean, yeah. that's the, that's the cool thing, right? You, I mean, the right answer is sometimes I'm like, well, we had this issue one time, and you know, so that's why we do it this way. And they're like, well, we've never had that issue, and we've flown this 80 times. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah, okay. I can see why you, you, <laughs> you, think, you know, that's not necessary. <laughs> that is necessary. Um, and so it's really cool. I, I mean, that, that it's it, it's it's nice because I think, you know, certainly JPL. Like I said, we all have our own culture. I mm-hmm. think JPL has a culture. We definitely have a way of doing things which listen is very successful and it's, it's really good and india has a different way it's also very successful so to try to figure out yeah how that know, works how it works yeah, yeah. so yeah. That's, that's a lot of fun um well, yeah I, w- I wanted to um go back to something that you you said jokingly you know the moon landing it, it really happened <laughs> Okay, we really are. Okay, I, I thought we were not going to go back. <laughs> oh to no, that. we I'm are. I, I mean, so it's 2017. Like, mm-hmm. why are we still debating the fund, like the most fundamental aspects of science with people who just refuse to accept evidence? Like, why are why I in, I, I, in I like I, like obviously I can't even get my sentence out. Like, I don't understand <laughs> where this willful ignorance com- ignorance comes from. I, you know what it. Okay, so with the moon, la- I, you know, my hypothesis with the moon landing is we're so far removed from it that maybe there's people who really don't understand right. why we haven't been back to the moon, and so there, you know, there, there's almost like a a new generation that is. But I mean, uh, it's it's not just here. the moon but landing. The, like there's no, this no, guy no, who's, so who's we're gonna get to flat Earth. We're gonna get yeah. to flat Earth. Yeah, right? is that, yeah, okay. That's a, I mean, the rapper guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that one is a lot. Here's the thing. I mean, that one we've solved for like a thousand years at this point, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it is a little, that was a little frustrating for me personally. That one hurts, I think, more than the moon landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's, it, because I just like, I just don't understand what it's aggressively asinine. Like, it's like, I, I don't get why people just refuse to accept basic science. <laughs> I mean, I understand that, like, there is a, Listen, I I think there's a there's a healthiness to being like I observe this phenomena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I look at the horizon; it looks flat. Right. I think that's hey, that's a healthy skepticism to have. 
But at, at some point, it, it, like when you go from skeptic, but you then you just don't follow it up, and instead you're just like, I think they're lying to me. Um, that part is where I think the leap is a little is a little rougher. Uh, and the fact that you know, I mean, certainly for some of the more famous flat earthers, you, you, you know, on on Twitter and things, people are constantly providing them counter yeah. points to that and showing them the evidence or how that you know evidence was derived. I mean, I will say to right to you know some of their credits have said like let's launch a satellite and prove that the Earth is curved. So I was like, like I, but I also don't understand how you think a satellite works if the Earth isn't curved. Exactly. Like, what does it do exactly? <laughs> so to me, like the I, but I don't. I mean, I'm you know I it's it's frustrating. I, I think for the most part, I try to use it as an opportunity. I don't think everybody is head in the sand. I refuse to listen. I right. think there are people. I, Twitter is not the great place to debate those things. Right. Uh, it's challenging on its own. But I think, you know, like when I've met people in person uh, and had conversations about the moon landings or things like that, they've been a lot more receptive. And I, I don't know if that's just because you, you can be, you can sort of judge the other person's authenticity in a real conversation or whether it's just more nuanced or, yeah. or you know, they can say like, here's my, my question. And you can, you know, prove that that one point you know, one, one point at a time. Um, but it, I don't, I don't really understand more fundamentally why there's almost a pride in the, like the yeah. anti, like, Oh, I don't know this. And I'm proud not to know this. Yeah. I'm like, oh, please don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that's, what's frustrating, you know, and that's, you sure. see it, you see it everywhere now. And it's just, and again, maybe it's just amplified because of social media and Twitter and mm-hmm. people being louder with their ignorance, but it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't understand it, and and that's a point of pride for me. I I mean, I do think it's probably the, I I bet it's mostly the social media aspect of yeah. it that it's just a much more visible yeah. um, part of it. Or, or yeah, and I mean, I I'm hoping that you know with with passing the passage of time, more people will start seeing the evidence or yeah. believing it. And you know, again, we'll we'll do more interesting things. So yeah, but um, I mean, if the if the Earth were if the earth were flat, don't you think that the edge of the earth would be like the most popular tourist destination ever? Like wouldn't, wouldn't I mean, I, be- yeah, <laughs> I, I jokingly said on Twitter, like I was so tired from protecting the edge of the earth the other day. <laughs> uh, That's why you're flying all the time, right? You yeah, got to go back like, and oh, forth. I'm so busy. <laughs> I was trying to get more work done. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, yes. Right. I, it would be, the thing is, this would be such an incredible uh, conspiracy and that, that part is just yeah. it's hard for me to I, the problem is I have a very hard time putting myself uh, more in the case of the you know the flat earth sort of movement uh, in that position because it's right. it just doesn't jive with the you know the data the the observations not necessarily that I made directly but you know the observations that I guess if you yeah. work in space that you have yeah. um, and so that one it's a little harder to to sort of say, well, like, why? I mean, I, I agree with that person. Yeah, you look at the horizon; it looks flat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's not that. That part is irrefutable. And so, if that's the basis of your logic, I'm like, well, how do I? You know, <laughs> I, I once had I once had a guy told me that the Earth is actually like a quarter, and it's spinning so fast. How a quarter looks like a circle. That's why. Oh, it's like a sphere. <laughs> so that was a Okay. Wow. <laughs> I mean, but there is a certain amount of sense to that, right? Like, if you don't understand the science, it kind of makes sense to you. Yeah. 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 People. I mean, yeah. 
that's I mean, what, what's interesting to me though is like we're you know we're talking about this and you're like the the flat earthers are disturbingly on the rise. You know, people refuse <laughs> to accept climate change as as something that's happening, but yet you say that you know the state of exploration and science and NASA that that we're in a good place. Like the pendulum has swung to the in the positive direction. Like so, I mean. Number one is like, how do those two things jive yeah. with each other? But also, like, what has you excited for the future? I mean, if you were, if we're facing this willful ignorance and people like refusing to accept data that says the, that we're destroying the Earth and killing ourselves, like, what get what still gets you excited about where we're going? Okay, so answer the first question. I I mean, I wonder if at some level, and not, you know, I had not really put it in that those terms before, but I wonder if at some level. Part of the rise that we see is almost the, you know, the counter to the the success of space and science in so many domains, right? Like if it's almost this, this uh, counterculture that feels that also the need to be more vocal because it's the science and the space is more in their face than it was even a decade ago. So hmm. maybe that's there's some. I mean, there is a human aspect of that, right? There's always yeah. people who are like, well, everybody's rooting for this team, so I'm just going to root for the the yeah. other team. Um, and maybe, and maybe that's one part of it. Um, for me, the excitement, I mean, I, I think for me, the excitement is, uh, I, I am, uh, what I'm an optimistic person in general, but I think just, I feel like all my interactions with younger people have been extraordinarily positive. Um, uh, and you know, whether it's classrooms, whether it's, uh, coworkers who are younger than me, uh, I think both. Uh, in both those cases, I, I am constantly impressed by uh, how smart they are, how much they care about the future and making things better. Um, and then, and, you know, through the amazing, you know, fortune of, of being part of that curiosity team, was able to go to the White House Science Fair and to interact with, you know, 16 year olds who are working with algae under their bed to, you know, make biofuels or whatever. Yeah. I was nowhere near that, uh, you know, uh, smart or thoughtful or anything <laughs> at that age. Um, so they give me a, a tremendous amount of, of hope for what's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, part of my responsibility at this point is just to make sure that we, you know, we give them something to build off of, uh, you know, so that we don't let the, if there is this, if there is a counter pendulum, there is a you know a swing a, a anti you know sort of science sentiment that we don't let that take root so that when it's their turn to sort of shine that you know they're not trying to recover from from a decade of damage that, yeah. that we've sort of let happen I guess um, and that's I mean that's for me personally is I don't know if that's a that's a uh, everybody's sentiment yeah. obviously I'd love to make forward progress too and I think we are going to make a lot of forward progress in the next ten mm-hmm. years but I. Um, I think that's like, you know, the, the overarching sentiment is to, to just sort of, you know, make it a little bit better, but just at least hold the line um, and then and let these kids, uh, you know, take their their uh, swing at the back because they are, like I said, I, you know, I go to high school robotics teams and I'm like, I'm very jealous one that there was high school robotics. Teams. <laughs> I know. Right? I was, <laughs> uh, and to just like just in, yeah, in general, like, I mean, you see these kids uh, uh, working on uh uh, you know, a, fr- a friend of mine, Jack Andreka, is you know he worked uh, on developing a test for pancreatic cancer, and he was you know 15. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had to shop around to find lab space to to work on it, and luckily some you know professor finally realized that this was worth 
giving him a little bit, you know, a couple of square feet of, of counter space in his lab. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's what, that's what keeps me really excited. Um, it's not just that we are, I personally, on a personal note, I think, you know, I get to do great work and I think, uh, you know, with, with the SpaceX and NASA, we're going to continue to do a lot of great work. Um, but, uh, and, and many other places are not just to mm-hmm. set those two examples. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that there is this generation kind of ready uh, on the rise, and they are—I think they're—they're they're good people, and they're smart, and they're more technically savvy than you know I was growing up. Um, so they're starting at a at a higher level than than I was. So I, you know, it's a little bit like the totem pole. I feel like you know, just you know, be a solid base, let them, yeah, you know, reach a little higher. That's awesome. Um, I, and I think that's you know that's my. My thought, and then hopefully, you know, not get uh, fired because they're all so much better than me. <laughs> That's another goal of mine. Um, what you know, you you've done a lot of talking, you've talked to a lot of kids, and you know, you you've tried to explain things in ways that they can understand, or you've talked to not necessarily just kids, but even adults. You know, translating that science into layperson language in quotes. Have you found that there is like one surefire way to just blow someone's mind to just like drop their jaw to the floor? I mean, I feel like there's better people than I think astrophysicists have this like they're like the whole universe can end in three minutes and you would never know it's coming. Uh, And those are always like, oh, man, I can't top that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I will say that I think one of the, the facts that has definitely gotten people you know, I, I, in addition to sort of like just our, our more recent foray into exoplanets, um, which I think inspires a lot of people. But one of the things that always excited me and still seems to get a lot of excitement is just this whole, you know, discovery that Curiosity made, um, not of water on Mars, which we make a discovery every year about water on Mars, it seems like. <laughs> um, but uh, of the fact that, you know, that this ancient Martian environment was uh, habitable and you know, the potential that the water was something that might have even been drinkable by yeah. us. Uh, I mean, for people to imagine that, you know, a planet, you know, three, four billion years ago could have supported life, that opens up a lot of people's minds to the possibility mm-hmm. that, that, you know, life must be somewhere else out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I think there's lots of fun ones like that. I think, you know, Europa's, under, uh, you know, subsurface oceans or Enceladus, you know, the plumes, they're all very inspiring. Um, but that, yeah, that one at least, you know, just yeah, sort of, sort of getting, you know, cracking open that that possibility and and uh, people's imagination sort of take it from there. Yeah. Right. So, I, oh, sorry, Jamie, did you no, have one more? No, go for okay, it. I have I have one last question for, sure. and it's a fun one. We've asked a lot of different people, and it's if you could have any one invention from science fiction that doesn't exist yet be invented, what would it be? Oof, that is tough. <laughs> I yeah I mean okay so if not in like a practical sense right. I don't think it's but in uh I would probably I would probably put the warp drive up there yeah as the thing yeah. that I I uh I've like I've debated because I, there's a part of me that thinks we'll get there anyway and if I had a time machine I would just be able to like go forward and see it um but I think that's the thing that in my lifetime that I would be like, oh, if we could get that one thing, right. then I could just do so much more. Yeah. Um, I I mean, for me, like, I, yeah, I 
I feel like, it, you know, it's kind of what we're talking about, which is like, this is such an exciting time to be alive. And yes, things are definitely seem to be picking up speed, which is really exciting. Uh, at the same time, I feel like I'm going to get to, you know, be 80 or 90 and it's still going to be really exciting and the pace is still going to be really good. And I'm just going to be like, what's just just a little bit more. Let me watch a little <laughs> bit longer um, to see what happens. And that, I think, is always probably going to be the case. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really like, I don't want immortality or anything like that, but at the same time, there's a part of me just like, I would love to know where does the human story go? Like, uh, like, ah, just so fast. Like, it's just, it's going to be such a bummer to die because I just won't know the ending. (laughs) That's what I want. Like, I want to just, I don't, I don't want to time travel. Like, I don't want to go live somewhere else. Like, I just want to peek like, where are we in a thousand years? Like, yeah. where, like what what have we done? You know, it's got. Here's the thing: it's got to be close enough in the future that it's still relatable. Yeah, right. Because if you, go, I mean, right? Like, if you take a, you know, somebody twenty thousand, thirty thousand years ago, I don't think that what we're doing today. There's some parts of it, obviously, they're the same, but a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Right. But if you, you know, and if you go forward twenty, thirty thousand years, I think it's the same thing that's going to happen. Like, it's right. just not going to make sure. sense what's happening. So it's, there's a finite distance in the future at which you can appreciate where you've come from and like where they are. And it's like uh, things are still kind of relatable. But then, you know, also some things are like, wow, I can't believe that's possible. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the that's the sweet spot that you really want to go to in the future. And I, I think a thousand years is probably a pretty good number. Yeah. I, you know, again, you go too far, and it's just gonna be like, I don't. What is yeah, that? Like, what is, yeah, like this is just magic now. Why is everybody in a cocoon at? in virtual reality? <laughs> that's gonna happen soon, actually. That's yeah. That's gonna happen. be like next year, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for your time. This has just been an awesome conversation. Really that was super has. fun. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. So Jamie and I were talking as soon as we got done the interview, and I think it would be fun sometime. I don't know how we would ever arrange it, but to have like four scientists, four engineers, four astronauts, whoever, people that know a lot, and have them just sit around and discuss theoretical things. People that know a lot. Yes, people that know more than us, and we can just sit there and listen. We'll We'll just throw out like little breadcrumbs like this topic, and then watch them go. Yeah. They're going to be cool. There are shows that that are like that that probably do it better than us. Um, yeah, I would recommend Star Talk, Justin. That's a good show. You could listen to that. Um, I got a few more I can let you know. Uh, but no, I do. I like that idea. Um, getting like you know, they don't even have to be like big names. Like we don't need to have like Bill Nye and, right. and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson on together. No, no. Just like you know, three or four scientists who are like in the weeds doing the work and 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 making it happen. Like that would be fascinating. Um, if, do you, do you guys want to hear that? Like, is that something that you want us to make happen? Because I can make it happen. <laughs> Ooh, James, the master booker, man, he can do it. All right. So yeah. And we're, and we'll put it like things that are like crazy, you know, <laughs> cause yeah. you know, we're not the, we're not engineers. So we'll just be like, so this, <laughs> and they'll be, they'll think we're ridiculous, but they'll yeah, talk about it. We are ridiculous, <laughs> but that's okay. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming back every single week. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast. I am Justin at 140JustinC. I am Jamie at The Roarbots. And we will see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.